What is going on, wonderful podcast family? What a privilege and honor to be with you again. I hope that wherever you are on this planet that you are doing tremendous and I am sending all of my prayers and good intentions your way to you, your family, and your friends. We have an absolutely amazing episode of the show for you today. We have my friend Mark Gober back on. He has written a new book called An End to the Upside Down Reset. We dive into a lot of important topics in this episode. We start off with Mark's awakening, uh, materialism versus spiritualism, uh, why the process can be hard. Uh, the Young Leaders Program, the World Economic Forum, we, we dive into that. We talk about leftism versus uh, liberal, uh, why it's important to accept deception and evil as it exists, a spiritual worldview, uh, waking up, cleaning up, growing up, and showing up, uh, transhumanism, the work of David Hawkins, the spiritual puzzle, and so much more. This is an outstanding episode. I know you're going to enjoy it. And if you do, please share it far and wide. Consider leaving a review on iTunes, a uh, rating in uh, Spotify. And uh, if you want to become a member for free or by donation, go to mattbelair.com. There is some exclusive bonus content in that membership area. And if you guys want to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, if you're looking to level up, overcome any kind of limitations, design and live your life by your own definition, your own values, and learn how to create your life deliberately, hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com. There are some tools, programs, and coaching available for you. Um, as always, the best way to support this show is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world. And that's it. Uh, let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we dive in. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, power, faith, and get ready to enjoy this amazing episode with Mark Gober. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. If you want to support this show, please share episodes far and wide. Consider leaving a review. Also, consider becoming a member at mattbelair.com for free or by donation. But most importantly, consider doing three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Today's guest is an award-winning author of five books and host of the podcast series, Where Is My Mind? His work covers conscious science, philosophy, political theory, economics, social, cultural trends, and UFOs. Previously, he was a partner at Silicon Valley strategy firm and a New York investment banking analyst. His latest book, An End to the Upside Down Reset, examines the World Economic Forum's vision for society known as the Great Reset. Welcome back to the show, my friend, Mark Gober. Matt, thank you so much for having me back. And I was just thinking earlier today, you were the very first interview I ever did when my first book came out in 2018. And I just really appreciate all of your support throughout the years. And I appreciate your courage. Uh, thanks, man. I didn't know. I, was the first, I knew you it was like early in the days because your first book, uh, what was the title of that one? And End Up Tied Down Thinking? You got it. Yeah. And that was kind of like your transition from how you were maybe trained or indoctrinated as a highly intelligent individual to then starting to question reality and your view of the world and everything is very powerful book. And then since then you've been on fire, 
just shooting out books. <laughs> what seems to be every month. And I was like, I got to get a catch up on interviews. So uh, I appreciate those kind words. And I'm glad that you've stayed the course and, and just continued your incredible work. So for those who are uh, being introduced to you right now, why don't you give a little brief synopsis of your, your journey, like how you started writing the books, some of the ones you did, because we have to do multiple podcasts and we'll dive into your newest one because uh, Davos is on right now. So it's very timely to just start talking about all these topics and, and share with people what's going on and some frames and solutions we might have for them. Sure. Well, my quick background is I have a very quote unquote mainstream uh, trajectory, or at least I did. Uh, I went to Princeton for <laughs> undergrad and like many of my classmates, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So most people go into investment banking or strategy consulting. So I ended up going to investment banking in New York during the financial crisis, started in the summer of 2008, right after I graduated. So that was brutal. I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do, but I didn't know, I didn't have any direction in life. I thought we lived in a random, meaningless universe. I thought all spirituality and religion were superstition. That was completely my mindset. thought when you died, that's the end of life. And it's it's hard to go on living like that for too long because eventually you hit a wall and that's what happened to me. I joined a Silicon Valley strategy firm where I spent about 10 years after leaving New York, first in Boston, then Silicon Valley for most of my time, became a partner and was still on that track of like, let's try to, I want to achieve, accomplish the next thing. And it felt like I was on a treadmill. So starting in 2014, 2015, I really hit a wall personally, professionally, lots of things in my life weren't going the way that I wanted. And I didn't have a, a North star for what I was going to do in life. So I started listening to podcasts heard about some topics related to the science of consciousness. And long story short, that changed my whole life because I started listening to podcasts, uh, more podcasts, reading books, and realized that the nature of reality, like the basic way I thought about what we're in was not correct. And what I am, what is a human being? I was challenging those basic questions. So a year later, this I first heard some of those podcasts in 2016, summer of 2017. I said, I've got to write a book about this. So that was my first book and End Upside Down Thinking, which came out the next year in 2018. And you interviewed me a few months before it was actually published, um, or maybe a few weeks before. And then 2019 launched my podcast series, Where Is My Mind, where I, where I interviewed many of the experts related to my first book. Got to the end of 2019, still at my firm in Silicon Valley and said, I've got to pursue this other stuff. I'm just too passionate about it. And it fe I felt like I was splitting my energy and it became pretty toxic to do that, to go into client work where it was like serious business stuff, but I was so interested in these other topics. So it was a very hard decision, but I decided to leave the firm, not knowing what I would do next and not knowing COVID was going to happen. So <laughs> I um, then... So I've the last three years, basically, I've just been researching and have written four new books. And the more I learn, the more I realize that I don't really know what's going on. <laughs> oh, man. Well, welcome to the club. That's the that's the path, man. I think uh, I don't know if I read it or it was like the expression is just like the idea, like the more what's well, a class one, like the more, you know, the more you realize how little, you know, what how does that go? You mm -hmm. know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, but there is another one. Um that the person said, like, you know, it's very hard to know the truth, the ultimate truth, the exact truth. But what we can do is continue to uncover the deception, right? So you, you get closer and closer and closer and you start peeling away these layers of the onion. And the first part of that was yourself, you know, this discovery of yourself. And that big one is, you know, would you say it was moving from like a materialistic reality? And is it seemed like very chain? Like what, what was the big mindset shift there where you're like, you know, it sounds terrible. I think you gave this story, you're driving to work and you're like, this sucks. I hate everything, but I just got to do it because this is the way life is. Yeah, exactly. That's the way <laughs> I thought about it. Because I, I consciously went through that, that logic of, 
well, life is random and meaningless, but that's how it is. So I just have to suck it up and keep yeah. going. And I didn't know any, any differently. And that, yeah, the, the term in, in the philosophical world is scientific materialism or physicalism. And basically the idea is that the universe is fundamentally made of physical stuff. And there was a big bang 13.8 billion years ago or something that started the universe with these pieces of matter. And after billions of years of those pieces of matter interacting, you end up with, with biological organisms like humans or other species, and they develop a brain and the, from their brain comes their consciousness. So if you believe that's true, that the reason that we have any capacity to experience, which is another way of saying consciousness, that that strictly comes from our physical body and from the physical world. What does that mean? When you get rid of the brain, when your brain shuts off, that means your consciousness is gone. There's no afterlife. And that's, that was the way I used to think about things. So my flip, and that's why the first book was called An End to Upside Down Thinking is, no, consciousness doesn't come at the very end after matter and after this billions of years. No, consciousness comes first. And everything that we consider to be physical is emerging from consciousness. And what does that mean for our identity? It means that our identity is actually not our body. It's our consciousness that's experiencing the world through a body. So the body's a vessel. That was the flip. And it freaked me out. It was so disorienting <laughs> because it, it was so hard to, to go through that. And everyone around me in my like network, they didn't think that way. So I didn't even, I didn't know who to talk to. I was so surprised to learn that there are massive communities around this stuff. But at the time in 2016, it was a really hard phase because I would, in my life, I had so much uncertainty and just a lot of dissatisfaction. And then my whole worldview was shifting on top of it. And since then I've been trying to regain my balance basically. <laughs> wow, man. Well, I, I'm so glad for, yeah, you're, you're part of it. It's like this whole new world you haven't seen. And it kind of reminds me of like the light spectrum. You know, we only know, a, we, we only perceive a tiny little bit. So of all the stuff we, we don't know is infinite, you know, um, it, there's just so much, we, there's no chance we could ever know even a little bit of everything that happens. It's just so deep, so mysterious in the Bible and religious texts. They'll just talk about the veil. You have mm. to be in the mystery, and I think that's why we have free will, uh, because you don't know if your choice is going to have a positive or negative result, but you do know your intention. And I think that's why this is maybe a spiritual free will realm, because you could intend right to make a nice dinner for your family, and then you could burn everything, right? It doesn't make you a terrible person. It makes you a terrible person, maybe maybe not a terrible person, but if like, you know, screw my family, and you know they're going to eat nothing, and I'm going to go out and be selfish. You know, you know, your intent there is just to take care of yourself. You know, you know, it's a stupid example, but you kind of get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a total different uh, way of the world. And when you started to think this way, you had no one in around you, but then this other channel, everybody's there. Everyone just, mm -hmm. they've been there the whole time. You just, you just haven't, you haven't seen it. It's like this uh, uh, study they do or not study, but like on perception, one of them where have you ever see the one where the guy says, focus on some uh, the juggler and then you're focusing on the juggler or something and then a monkey comes behind and nobody yes. and i did that and i didn't see the monkey and i was like damn it <laughs> so that's kind of like the idea right it's switching channels and then it's a whole new level of mystery to participate in and although like from your experience i'm curious like has it been more challenging but worth it that's what i find is like this kind of let's say spiritual road the entrepreneurial road the road where you're creating your own way because for you what i've noticed is like when people check into the matrix or whatever they want to get the best highest paying job do the least amount of work you know what i mean and kind of go mm -hmm. in that ladder and that's what most people kind of do so to give that up to create your own thing to follow your heart your passion your intuition what you believe you came here to do is very challenging and so 
I say, I've been telling people like, I think it's more than worth it in the fulfillment category, but very, very challenging. Cause you know, if you want a regular paycheck, just go get a job in, you know, insurance or something that's very stable. Yeah. I had to go through all those calculations in my mind <laughs> where, where it, uh, where it landed for me is I had to, to go back to the basics of who are we and why are we here? And then my life direction is based on my answers to those questions. My second book and end upside down living actually looks at life that way, where I asked the question at the beginning of the book, what is the overall intention of your life? And I go through in the book, getting to the last chapter, which is the description of my overall intention based on the evidence provided before that. So if you use that kind of logic, then it's irrational for me to do the the quote unquote matrix in that way, because I think we're here to, to have a positive impact, to evolve at some level. Um, and it's beyond this body and this life. So the way I think about it is I have this I had a lot of training in my life effectively. In undergrad, I had to write a thesis in order to graduate. And then in my professional life, um, especially when I was in Silicon Valley, a lot of what I had to do was take complicated technologies and legal issues and explain it to senior management teams and boards of directors of both big and small companies. So I had to learn all kinds of stuff that I didn't know anything about and then synthesize it so that someone could understand in five minutes. People have a very short attention span. So what's happened is I'm using those skills towards something that I think is more valuable on a holistic planetary level. And it's like, if you if you look at the, the options, I've, I've got to go in this direction. Now, I'm not saying that's been easy. Like I can say that to you with a straight face, but it's been hard because the more I get into this, the more I'm upsetting people with the things I'm saying. And there is the old part of me and probably part of human nature that wants to please people and wants to have positive feedback. And sure, there has been some positive feedback, but there's also a lot of negative feedback. And I continue to say that it's worth it because the things that I'm putting out there, I think are well substantiated and there's logic behind them and lots of evidence. And I think it's toward the betterment of, for for my own learning, but also for other people that engage with it. So for me, it's like, I've got to go with it. I love that, man. Well, you brought up some some great points and I just wanted to kind of address that one because I think when people uh, think about you know, they're getting into spirituality or they've done it for a while, however you want to call it, an awakened person or trying to design your life, right? A lot of stuff out there is like, here's the easy way. And I found there is no easy way. I found mm. for me, the people that are truly genuinely doing it, it's it's a it's a big challenge. It's a risk. It's a way of life. There, There's very little certainty. I haven't met very many people where it's easy. Now they can get to a point of where they're, it's easier, but there's still big challenges. There's still big risks in following what you know to be true. So I think that's a big misconception when people are trying to do this, that know that it's going to be challenging, but in the end, it'll be worth it. Because when you look at all the studies on death, right. And all the biggest regrets we have, it's not following our heart. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not listening to that inner voice. And I think that inner voice is your connection with God, the creator. So how are you going to follow that path? And then the, 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 the hardest thing, I think um, I wanted to just kind of acknowledge, I believe you're doing I don't think it's that hard to wake up personally. I think we wake up uh, when we're meant to, right? So in your story, you had all these skills that were perfect for what you're doing now. Like, and and I think everyone has that opportunity to wake up um, and then they do, but that's not the hard part. The hard part is then transitioning. 
that's the hard part because I think a lot of people choose to go back to sleep because it's much easier. And it's not like judging them as terrible people. It's the idea of like being compassionate for people who are, you know, still lost in whatever this realm might be where they're, you know, materialistic or they're yelling at you or think you're a nut. It's like they're at their stage and that's okay. And hopefully when they get that opportunity to wake up, their skills and everything they went to will help them uh, make that transition. I think that what that that's what you've done. And I think that's the big challenge of like, okay, I'm, I'm awake. I kind of see what's going on in the world. I know uh, I want to do something of meaning, but people then equate it for how much money will I make? How much security mm. will I have? How certain is this? And it's almost letting that go. And in the Bible, it says uh, you can't serve uh, mammon and God like money. And in, in the Vedas and all the other spiritual texts, it talks about the rise through materialism doesn't mean you can't have material and it doesn't mean you can't be financially successful and accountable and all those things that are important about being a human or a father or a mother. It means you don't put that thing first before who you truly are, what you true know, truly know that you should be pursuing um, and how to act on those things. So you want to yeah. speak on that? That's really well said, Matt. That's You've summarized my journey very well in terms of trying to get to that place philosophically. And I think I got there early on, because when I realized how much the evidence there was for the idea that we live in a meaningful universe and the things we do matter on a, like a spiritual metaphysical level, then for me, there was no choice, but to go in this direction. And as you were talking, you reminded me of a story I tell people all the time of a buddy of mine who is very smart, really good person. And when I first started telling him about what I was researching, probably back in 2017, maybe even before I wrote my first book, but around that time, I was talking about some of the scientific evidence for psychic abilities, the evidence that our consciousness continues when the body dies, research at the University of Virginia on children with past life memories, that kind of thing, where it's credible evidence. And he goes, Mark, I think you might be right about this, but my life is good as is, and I don't want to rock the boat. So I'm not going to go down this path. And I think there are a lot of people in that position, and I can understand where they're coming from because it is so disorienting and disruptive to one's life to go down this path. And we see this in the most extreme cases when people come back from a near-death experience, like let's say they've had cardiac arrest, they're somehow resuscitated, and they explain what happened when they're in these other realms. And they try to explain it to their spouse, and they, sometimes they get divorced, or sometimes they leave their profession because you're just in a different plane. And that's what it feels like more and more. I mean, the, the example you mentioned of the people juggling, and there's a, a person in a gorilla suit that walks by. I studied psychology in undergrad, and I think it's called attention blindness something like that. That's the name of the term. And I never thought about it this way, but it's almost like there is a curtain that was closed before and that now it's open. But my previous thing that was open is almost closed. Like a lot of the just networks in my life are, are almost not there in the same way that they used to be. I've just switched, switched dimensions or something. I, I don't know what it is, <laughs> but it's a different reality completely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's, it is scary. And that's kind of what I want to bring up to people. And again, just, um, you know, commend you for your path, because I know a lot of people who maybe just done the one book and going to festivals and doing the work I do, and even watching people kind of like, when I'm coaching or, 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 or know someone personally, and I see the light bulb start going on, because they start asking certain questions. And you can feel it's just true. You know what I mean? Like, well, you start asking, who am I? Why am I here? You know, what am I meant to do? What's most important to me? You start asking these questions, and then you got to filter it into a material world will require money. So it takes courage. And so I think that you've displayed that. And I'm grateful you're still doing all the work you're doing. And for those people who, you know, are still, let's just say, uh, 
you know, in the material realm, like let's try to have more compassion for them because they've been throwing tomatoes at us. And I need to remember that because it gets me very frustrated. Um, you know, but I think that's important too, that people will wake up in their time. And if they're throwing tomatoes at you, then we just got to focus on the amazing people trying to look for solutions that want to know the truth, that want to be helpful. And, and they're displaying that in their life. And in Buddhism, it talks about right livelihood. You know, how do you make your living? And I think um, when you're doing it the way you do, it's always a, you know, a, a challenge. And so I think you're doing a great job. So um, with that said, I'd love to, there's a lot of books we, we should dive into. I didn't, I think I missed the the end of, I don't know if we did one for the end of upside down living. So we're going to have to revisit that. Um, <laughs> and the, you got one on UFOs. I want to dive in on that. But Davos is on right now. And and you did one on Liberty. Check out the one we did on Liberty, which is so good. You wrote a book on that. So check out Mark's website. He's just got phenomenal books, very well written, uh, very well researched, uh, perfect man for the job to bring over a lot of people uh, and even people for myself who already know it. But uh, the way that you articulate it with your research is incredibly helpful. So with Davos, why don't we just dive in with like this great reset? Like what is the World Economic Forum? What is the great reset as far as what you've seen? Yeah. So I want to preface this by saying that the, the Great Reset book, it's, which is called An End to the Upside Down Reset, to me is part of a, a secondary paradigm shift that I've had. So the first one for me was, what's the basic nature of reality? There's more than meets the eye. We're spiritual beings. But then even within that realm of people who believe those things, there's a divergence. There's a big split. And to me, the paradigm shift is, is understanding the level of deception that exists in the world. And really duality, that there is, at some level, it seems like when people have a near-death experience or a DMT experience or meditation, they talk about oneness, unconditional love. I think that's a reality, but it's like the paradox is that that's real, but at the same time, there's dark and light too within that. So to me, the, the great reset is, is maybe the intersection of all this stuff where our society is being led in a very particular direction. And... On the surface, the way it's described might sound very compassionate, like it's for the common good. But if you're not attuned to deception, it could lead people in a very dark direction. And that's that's basically what I'm talking about in the book. Now, you're, with regard to your question about the World Economic Forum, who are they? Because they, they had actually announced in June of 2020, it's time for a great reset. And this was Klaus Schwab, who's the, uh, the head of the World Economic Forum. And at the time, Prince Charles, they announced the great reset. Um, and... Na Dr. Naomi Wolf, who's, who wrote a book called The Body, Bodies of Others, she said that it was eerily early that they put out this great reset right after the lockdowns happened, basically the plan for society. So the World Economic Forum was founded in the 1970s under a, a different name initially, and it considers itself the organization for public-private cooperation. So basically governments interacting with the private sector. And Klaus Schwab has even said that uh, he has a young global leaders program and that they penetrate the cabinets. There's a clip of him saying that, meaning the people that are under this ideology, they're in governments all over the world. And it includes people like Justin Trudeau. He has said on, on tape once, uh, Vladimir Putin, Emmanuel Macron from France. The website actually has a list of the young global leaders, but there are others that, that Klaus Schwab has mentioned who are not on the list. So in my book, I footnoted that because there can be some confusion. I don't know if they're taken off or they certain certain people they actually don't mention. And this is, I don't mean to, to imply that every single person that's associated with the World Economic Forum is automatically evil or in on the plan or, or has a negative intent because you can have someone that's loosely affiliated and just know someone and, and like, 
it's hard to tell as an outsider who actually intends what, but this, this is an influential body. And on their website, they even list their partners, like corporate partners. And it's, it's the who's who of businesses all over the world in basically every sector. So it's all there for everyone to see that this is an organization. They're, they're directing our society and they announced a great reset along with the announcement where it was Klaus Schwab and then Prince Charles, Klaus Schwab and his colleague Thierry Malloray uh, published a book called COVID-19, The Great Reset. And it explains the vision for society, what COVID means for where society is going to, to go in the future. And in 2022, launched a book uh, that's it's published called The Great Narrative, which is a sequel and follows up on many of the ideas. And I, I, I'm glad we're starting the conversation here because if you read CNN or CBS News, they've recently put out some articles saying, look, conspiracy theories are emerging, that there's an elite group of people that wants to do X, Y, and Z, and this is craziness, this this should used to be fringe, far-right conspiracy stuff, and now it's reaching the mainstream more and more, that's their concern. But what I'm talking about and what many other people are talking about is literally just using their words of what they want to do. <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about in my book, because I wanted to expose to people who aren't familiar with this, what's actually going on, what's been said and why it's dangerous. I mean, you'd be shocked, Matt. There's some really smart people that I know and even high up in the business world where I say, oh yeah, I just wrote a new book about the Great Reset and I get a blank stare. What's the Great Reset? And if I mention the World Economic Forum to certain people, they might they might say, I've heard of that, but they don't really know. They don't know too much about it. So I felt like there was this need um, and, and the history behind this book too. I wrote the book on an end upside down contact on UFOs, aliens, and spirits that came out in June of 2022. And then pretty short, shortly after that, I just kept researching current events. And then all of a sudden in November, I'm like, oh, I got to write a book about this. This is the great reset. I'm not planning to launch it around the same time as their annual meeting in Davos, which is happening right now. This is in Davos, Switzerland. So I didn't even like consciously plan that, but I just got this this hit again, this happens to me where I've got to write this and I have to do it as fast as I can. And it's got to be all the details. And I, I got to, I've got to get it out there to people, both for those who are familiar with the great reset to maybe look at it from a different angle, but also for people who've never heard of this before to bring credibility to, to the fact that this is a real thing. That's awesome, man. Well, I like how you're, you're kind of following your intuition, right? This perfect timing. So you're obviously in synchronicity with how you're doing things. And it is fascinating how there are so many people who don't know and they like to, you know, call you a conspiracy theorist or whatever, when literally you can go on Amazon and buy their freaking books. You know, it's like you quote them to the people and they'll still call you like a nut. It's like, no, here's the guy saying it. And he's dressed up like, uh, you know, Darth Vader from Star Wars, you know, wearing this crazy thing saying like, we control the world and we influence this, like all the crazy quotes, you know, you've got his head. I just did a post on Twitter before we started this. Um, to just talk about Yuval Harari, his head chief scientific officer, talking about how, you know, humans are hackable animals and that the area of free will and we have a soul is over. Like th this guy is saying it and he's on the website. It's not that hard to figure out. It's at this point, willful blindness. And it's this big shift. I think this is the big thing. It's if you accept that, you have to then reframe everything you think you know. And that's why I think it's hard for people to accept, right? When you talked about your awakening, that's a big key to it. Because if you let this one thing in, 
this one new piece of information in, then you have to reconsider everything. So your entire foundation on what you believe about this reality in neurolinguistic programming, they'll call it your mental map of the world. Well, then if you let in that piece of information, uh oh, you're going to have to check every single box and be like, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And that's where people wake up and and that, you know, I've had this where like kind of the the in-laws were just like, oh, well, it couldn't be. They, they kept saying, oh, well, this doesn't make any sense. This doesn't make any sense as the whole narrative unfolded the last couple of years. And, and he's like, oh, I don't believe, you know, that a group of people would come together and design this. And I was like, here, this is their websites. This is all the leaders. <laughs> like it's a you can go check it out. Here's what they said at this date. Here's what they said at this date. Here's a book you can go buy. So when they're telling you, and this is where I think it gets into weirder stuff um where you get into like some of the occult stuff and you know mm -hmm. when i worked on human trafficking and i did a law summit it seems a lot of these people get into really like occult satanic stuff and you wonder why that is and i guess one of these um tenants or rules they have to follow is disclosure and so over the last couple of years or even years ago like i remember when i was in high school being like hey guys like you ever and how i got into this i didn't understand war and starvation you know, that's why I did. I didn't get it. It didn't make any sense. And then I just realized there's groups of people who want to control people for power and they want to control the resources and they want to do all these different things. It's not that complicated. Um, but I was talking about how they wanted to chip us. And back then people were like, oh, that's crazy. Meanwhile, the last Davos, not even this one, they're talking about a pill that will have a microchip in it and the World Economic Forum on their website is, you know, trying to normalize chips, right, to move us to the digital ID. So it's a bit crazy. Um, so where do we... Do you want to comment on that or how do we do we keep diving into your book? Yeah, let's dive into the the specific ways they they envision shaping society to just bring more color to it. Because if you read their books, there's a lot of words and they're it's presented as a positive thing. So it would be possible to read it and say, wow, these people really want to help the world. And based on my personal experience, I don't know everyone involved, but I, I know some people that are um, like in these networks that I used to hear they would go to Davos, things like that, before I even knew about the World Economic Forum, really. But um, I think a lot of those people are successful and want to help the world. There are probably some really bad apples in there, too, who are maybe more into this occult, really dark stuff. But other people are just, oh, this is an organization that's going to help the world, and I want to help the world. I've been successful. I'm going to do that, too. And maybe the, the discernment's not there. They don't see how it could go wrong. And... So the way I, I, I structured my new book is to break down the Great Reset into six categories. And they're not six categories that they use. But to me, as I look at everything they're talking about, these are the six categories that they're shaped moving society in. And I wanted to do that to give people a framework to think about not only the Great Reset, but as things unfold to say like, oh, wow, this trend's happening. And it's in this category of how they're going to reshape society. So the six categories that I talk about in the book, and each is its own chapter. One is culture. Two is politics economics, environment, technology, and metaphysics. So those are the six ways they're going to move us. And to just briefly summarize those six, we can talk as much or as little as you want. Culturally, it's essentially they're pushing woke stuff, like this very extreme leftism, which we should talk about too, this leftist ideology, and it's different than liberal. I do want to talk about that. But it's a lot about things like like justice and equity and fairness, things that sound good, but in reality could have very dark consequences. Politics, they want big government, they want centralized power and more global governance and coordination. Economics, 
They want more regulation and they want uh, what they're calling uh, stakeholder capitalism, which is ultimately a way to control the market uh, and outside forces can control in the way that they want. Um, environment is they talk a lot about climate and using this perception of an emergency to control behavior effectively and control movement. So it's, it's sort of like what happened with COVID where there was an emergency. Now we get to control you. I worry a lot about that with regard to their environmental rhetoric. With regard to technology, Klaus Schwab wrote about the fourth industrial revolution. And this is about basically changing what it means to be human and transhumanism, surveillance technology, the metaverse. And that could be very dark. And the last one to me is the most important one, but it's essentially absent from a lot of their rhetoric, which is metaphysics. And uh, like you mentioned, Yuval Noah Harari, I actually use that quote in my book where he says this idea that we have a solar spirit, that's over. There is, in my view, more of this materialistic perspective. Uh, it might not represent everyone in the World Economic Forum, but they're certainly not talking in their books about, oh, we need a spiritual revolution. And to me, that's where, that's where I started my journey. I'm like, we need a spiritual revolution. And they're talking about changing the world and they're not even including that. Wow, that's a really big deal. So those are the six categories that I talk about in the book. That's awesome. I love how you you break that down, and and each topic can go. Uh, we can move so deeply into so you know the Hegelian dialectic, like you know problem reaction solution. You know this playbook. You can look at something called the Communist Manifesto, and you know as this was unfolding, you could see in history when you know tyrannical leaders used similar tactics to control the population. And there's a great documentary called Century of Self, and it explores uh, Edward Bernays, who is Sigmund Freud's nephew. And he used his techniques that he learned from Sigmund Freud on uh, populations of people. So, you know, now we're hearing about mass formation psychosis. Well, way before that, they've been mastering the stuff probably before the 1900s. And so if you look at that documentary, it just shows all these different techniques where if you want to hypnotize or influence somebody, which you can look into and do, you know, you know, psychology from just basic sales, but there's people like Darren Brown that can literally like take your wallet and do all these different things. And he's doing it for real. It doesn't work on for everyone, uh, but it does work and it does influence. And when you then take that idea and you look at, okay, well, how do people react in groups? Uh, uh, Darren Brown did one where, I uh, forget what it's called, but it basically what he did is give the audience an option to give people a positive stimulus or a negative stimulus, and they were watching it play out, right? So everyone's in the audience, and he did these live shows. And what happened when he put masks on everyone? So over the period of the show, people got more and more uh, terrible. They 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 could have choose to give him a thousand bucks or to destroy his TV and get robbed, and they end up choosing at the end being robbed. And he goes, "This experiment wasn't." about that person that was fake it was about what you would make and he goes you all made this of your own free will and he put a mask on him and everyone took off their mask and was like holy shit so these techniques they've known for a long time there's so many experiments um you know around the psychology of how humans act as individuals and in groups and like you said they they make it sound compassionate right so you know now it's global warming but you know two years ago when this COVID thing i did a video that's now deleted i can't find it um but it's just like, okay, here's step one is COVID, but then after that's going to be climate change, right? And then the climate lockdowns, because it's all in their uh, materials. You know, it's all in their materials. So we want to save the planet. So obviously you can't be going outside, right? And then, and now guess what the biggest polluters are? It's uh, farms and local farms and being sustainable. And one big piece of destroying a civilization. So from my research, where I think they're going to go is they want a one world government. 
uh, One World Bank, the central bank, and you look at banking and their history and how corrupt that is and how they're controlling everything is not good. Um, and a One World Religion. Did I say that? Government, religion. Yeah, one more religion. And so when I actually went to the Vatican last summer and they talked about opening this door in 2024, and when you open that door, it it basically, I don't know if this will drop like when they're trying to do all this stuff, but it's that you walk through that door and you're absolved of your sins and it allows all religions of the world to be, be formed as one. You know, and this mm. is what the guide is telling me when I'm in the Vatican this year. And it's like, oh, I was like, if they do that at that time. That'd be so interesting. So they've kind of got this like plan, but it's so important to realize the, like you said at the beginning, how they do it, right? Because we all want to be a good person, right? And they use these same techniques of going into the the compassionate side, right? The side of us that wants to help everyone. Yeah, it's great in theory, unless, and this is the other thing I think is like good people don't understand how evil people or self-centered people think, right? Again, going back to the in-laws, it's like, See, you're thinking like a regular person. You would never do that to someone. You, your brain, you could never cause that much harm. But in some of the philosophies, when you go into the darker stuff, they believe that if you take away all compassion, and this is some of the more like, you know, the satanic indoctrination, but if you remove all compassion, you can do whatever you want to a human. So you have no compassion whatsoever. And you look at some of these systems, they're not bringing in spirituality. They're not bringing in compassion. And the last thing I'll say, because I'd like to give it back to you, just yammering. I love this. I love this chat, but I also want to go into solutions is uh, electroshock therapy. They wanted to know if they could make the person, they've always been trying to control us, make us do exactly what we want, what they want with no free will, right? Just create workers, whatever the case is. So electroshock therapy was to see if they could um, take out the ghost in the machine, which is your soul. So they mm. shock you and shock you and shock you and shock you. So you're a vegetable and then just program you like a bot. And that was what that experiment was about. So when you realize that, um, you know, not everyone is benevolent, you know what I mean? People have a different view. And if they believe you're a, they're wolves and you're a sheep or they have a thing where they can do anything they want to you, it's just good to know this balance of you still want to have love and compassion and caring. Everybody wants that. But at the same time, you got to realize that uh, not everybody is out there for your benefit. And, you know, then you're going to have a more discerning so you can cooperate and collaborate with people who want a better world, who want a better community, who want to find for solutions. So what do you think? Yeah, really important stuff. So part of the subtitle of this new book is, is about how um, caring people can be fooled into supporting harmful causes. And when I first realized how much evil there is in the spiritual realm, that it's not all just love and light. I think if I was initially focused on that, like evil is the big problem. We have to overcome it. And now I'm actually, I think that's a minority, like the really, really evil stuff. And I'm most concerned about good people who can't see through the deception. And so the first part of this new book is all about the psychology of the stuff. And the term that I use uh, that others have used as well is, is the leftism. And Dennis Prager, who's a conservative political commentator, he makes this important distinction that I include in the book and has been really helpful for me in trying to like sift through the world, left versus liberal. So um, on the topic of race, for example, leftist would say, uh, we should judge people on the basis of their skin color. We should segregate dormitories based on ethnicity because we're being, we're being anti-racist. It's, it's paradoxical, but that's the leftist thinking, whereas a liberal would say, no, we shouldn't judge people based on ethnicity or skin color. Left would say we shouldn't have free speech because then there could be people who say hateful things based on what we consider to be hateful. 
Uh, whereas the liberals say, would say, no, you need to have free speech. With regard to economics, leftists would say, we need socialism or communism, something really hardcore where there's major central planning. A liberal would say, no, we need to have some capitalism. They might not as want, might not as want, excuse me, they might not want as much capitalism as a conservative or a libertarian, but it's not on the extreme like a leftist. So a lot of what you see also in the psychology of, of like there are psychologists that have looked into this, what is the difference psychologically between different parts of the political spectrum? And this notion of compassion is what comes up a lot, is that compassion is such a big part of the leftist mindset or that just general direction mindset that it can be weaponized. And that's my biggest concern um, is that like you meant, you talked about good intentions before. It, I think it's a combination of having good intention and also having the good discernment on top of it. Because as some would say, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We could look throughout history where someone had a good intent and they ended up like doing something horrible because they thought they were going to be helpful, but ended up hurting someone. So it's like this, this discernment of being able to see through the deception is critical. And like you're pointing out, and it's so critical, is acknowledging what that deceptive force is like. I wrote about this in my book on liberty too, where I was very critical of having a compulsory power structure, which we call government. Why is that so dangerous? Because it's an attractor field effectively for people who are psychopathic. Not to say that every politician is a psychopath, but you put this platform out there where if you if you get there, then you can control other people's behavior and determine morality for them without their explicit consent. Wow, if, if I were a psychopath, which I'm not, that would be a great thing to do. It's like you have to put your mind into what they would think like. And it's, it's a psychological phenomenon, psychopathy, where it's a person who has no empathy, loves power, craves control. And I think you're alluding to this. It's, this is a metaphysical issue too. This is probably, in my view, a manifestation of demonic stuff in the human form, where the analogy I like to use a lot is the, the, one, the one consciousness that we're all a part of is like the sun and it's made of unconditional love. It's benevolent. It's always shining, but that can be obstructed by clouds. And if you have enough clouds obstructing it, then you've got no light. And that's like the, the, the psychopathic end of the spectrum. But then there's, there's stuff in between that we're probably all working through to get rid of those clouds to get to pure enlightenment consciousness. Uh, but we have to acknowledge that it's real, that those clouds can exist and those people can do tremendous damage. And their ability to do damage is compounded if they can fool caring people into supporting harmful causes. So when I look at the Great Reset, like that's that's the crux of it is to get over that psychology, the psychological block to realize, wait a second, maybe it's not just as presented. I have to do the critical thinking myself to see how this could go wrong. I love all that. While well, I was tempted to interrupt you and be like, well, Bill Gates is trying to black out the sun. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, you brought up a lot of really great points. I'm reminded of this quote by Edmund Burke. And it says, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And that's what I think has been the issue of, of what's been going on here. And um, I've had this discussion with you know various people about how when this was all going about, like the spirituality podcast, the self-help podcast who do these things, why, why were they not speaking up? Either one, they couldn't figure it out, or two, they didn't want the bank to get hurt, or three, they kind of fell for it and got duped. And you know, I had one person say, oh, well, that's like, uh, you know, it sounds like kind of a bit judgmental. And I was like, yeah, I guess it is. Um, but like, I think it's also important to have a stand like where we stand because I judge if I'm walking down the road and there's a man and he's beating the piss out of a girl. I judge that to be wrong. And then it's important for me to take action. I think that that's my belief anyway, right or wrong. It's, you know, like I can't make that person do anything, but I, I can draw a line in the sand. And when we've got some of these agendas going out, you know, about 
all kinds of things. Like, you know, it's crazy now in this day and age, if I say a man is a man and a woman is a woman and, and not to say, if you choose to do anything as an adult, go ahead, you know, go ahead, you know, but I, I believe that if you have a, you know, um, those drag queen story hours, right. And you're doing that to like a three or four year old, it's not appropriate. If that person is now adult and they can go buy a beer you know, they want to go get, you know, it's like just bringing in a, like, what's the difference between that and like a stripper, <laughs> you know, the stripper story hour, how is it better that it's a dude in there? You know? So just saying things like that, you know, there's a time and place and it's not to say, you know, that that person is necessarily, you know, evil for doing that. It's just the idea of like, well, number one, why are you doing it for kids? And, you know, it's okay for me to say that's inappropriate because that's my stand and I'm going to stand on that and believe that. And if you want to do that to the right group of people, do it as you wish. I just don't want any part of that. And I don't think that that should take over all of society. So when we look at the great reset, you know, now they want to do 15 minute cities. They want to basically technocratic enslavement, the fourth industrial revolution. Uh, they want to put a chip in your arm. It'll be a digital idea, digital chip, uh, you know, and they're already talking about these climate lockdowns. So I perceive that as negative, right? Um, you know, I don't, that's not, <laughs> that's, not everyone that's, would, right? Some yeah, people yeah. Would say, no, it's helpful. Yeah, this is great. And so, um, you know, it's just, I think the idea is like, drawing your land in this sand is okay, but you still can remain compassionate around that. But I think it's taking a stand is important. And it's this um, pushing the bar too far where people I think have allowed too much without saying anything are holding that line in the sand. And, you know, for me, it was like, you know, giving these experimental shots to kids. That's why I spoke up so much because look, we have the data, we have the evidence to know that this is not safe. We know that. Um, but interestingly enough, they disclosed it it was public knowledge before it went out, and now they're disclosing all the other things around it, right? So people had that um, – they could have found that knowledge, and this is where I feel like people who want to put their head in the sand, they can harm themselves and their family because they're like, oh, they they wouldn't do that or, you know, this is – you know, however that, that uh, mental block comes in from – advanced psychological warfare, you know, so there's a reason why, but I had a good friend that, you know, after all the time ended up getting it for a job, but his philosophy was, um, you know, I'm not going to look at that stuff because, you know, whatever his spiritual belief was, was like, uh, I don't know how, how he phrases it, but it just didn't make any sense. It's like, well, now you probably harmed yourself because you refuse to look at something. It's like going camping and not being prepared. If you're going to go into a wolf territory or a bear territory, right? You need to be prepared for that. And life has all kinds of facets. So if you can defend yourself with martial arts, you, you don't, you know, you're not going around looking for fights, but if something happens, you can prepare and like evade, or you have the skills necessary, if that kind of makes sense. So I think it's a balance to be able to look at some of this evil and darkness, but then for the compassionate people not to live in it. Cause that can also be a challenge, right? You're looking at this and you've probably gone through this. Um, maybe you want to touch on it briefly, but you, you, you wake up kind of, and you're like, Holy shit, nothing is what I thought it was. You know, it is always the opposite. Oh yeah. Food is great. Wait, what's Monsanto doing? Oh crap. Oh, wait, I can't eat any of this stuff. I was like, Oh, this is holy crap. Okay. Well, where's the good stuff? Oh, they're deleting all that. Huh? Okay. Food isn't what it is. Okay. What about this? Oh no, that's going to kill me. Damn. You know? So it's like really disheartening when you kind of pull the rug, you know, out from under and see what's actually going on. Yeah. So this is, as I've called it, like part of my second paradigm shift. The first was we live in a spiritual reality and we live on after our body dies. The second one is deception is real. Evil is real. And the idea, I think, that, which is overarching everything that you were just talking about is that there is an adversarial force that will come after you. And if you are passive, 
then you're in trouble. Like you can't, if, if a hungry bear is running toward you, you're not going to save yourself by just standing there. You can't do it. So like, it, this is understanding that there is duality, that there is light and dark, and you have to like respond accordingly. So in my exploration, and some of this is in my book and end upside down contact, because that book is all about the idea that we're not alone and that there are other intelligences, whether they're related to UFOs or just spirits in other dimensions, there's light and dark within that. And one of the things that inevitably comes up that I'm sure your audience is familiar with is like the really dark rituals that are done to children and other people with the intention of invoking demonic type beings. And I mentioned that because that, that those rituals and people who have survived it and, and therapists who have worked with people to help them try to reintegrate their fractured personalities, because often they have a dissociation and they have multiple personalities from trauma, um, is that we get, we get insights into the, the mentality of this adversarial force, that it wants to destroy innocence, that it is devoid of love. It wants people to be in fear and suffering. Like that's the kind of mentality you hear from everyone. And they're, they're trying to impose that as much as possible. And when I look at what's happening in the world today, it's almost like those rituals are a microcosm for what's happening on a broad scale. And it's masked. The, the deception is that it's, oh, well, this is out of compassion. So you're talking about what's happening to little children and the sexualization of children. That's another big theme is that in these horrible, horrific rituals and the associated cults, is that there is a sexualization of children at a very young age. And that's what's happening now is that children are being exposed to a lot of pretty explicit content at young ages. And even we're seeing, I mean, this term MAP, have you heard of this? MAP, minor attracted person. Oh yeah, they busted out that bad boy a few years ago. Yeah, like that's, instead of calling someone a pedophile, we want to be compassionate because they have this attraction to minors. So we're going to call them minor attracted person. They even had (laughs) NAMBLA, which was like one of the, you ever hear about NAMBLA? Yeah, I th- I don't know who that was. Was it Soros was like one of the head people like these people are open pedos, you know, and it's the worst possible thing you could ever think like you got to draw your line in the sand. So it'll diverge because when you yeah go into that kind of stuff, it's just so sick and so upsetting. And I think, again, that's a reason why a lot of people can't see it. So please continue. Yeah, no, but it's it is so upsetting. And you the, at least in my own experience, you get really down at a certain point and then that can, it can bring you down. But to me, it's not about it's not learning about it to point fingers at other people or to make yourself really upset. It's just to understand the nature of the reality that we're in being a responsible human is to understand that that exists because when you understand that that level of psychopathy happens where someone would willingly torture children in a sophisticated manner to gain power or to try to invoke some dark being like that is a real thing. Even if it's a small number of people, then that tells you something about the world that we live in. You start to look at it from a different lens of like, wait, if someone were really powerful, all you need is a few really powerful people who are trying to tap into that stuff. And if they had control of others that they can say, do this and this, those other people that they're controlling or telling what to do, they wouldn't necessarily know how dark it is. And I'll give an example of back when I worked in investment banking in New York, it's very much a hierarchical structure. So I was an analyst when I started, bottom of the totem pole, taking orders from the people above me, working on deals and doing the financial models and doing the price charts, really basic stuff, like changing colors on graphs. And I'm just taking those orders and I'm trying to survive so I can go to bed at 5 a.m. rather than <laughs> 8 a.m. or something. Like that was the mentality. And you could see how you're just kind of doing your job and you don't see the bigger picture that's happening. And you have a lot of people just doing their job and taking the orders of the person above. You could end up with some really dark things with just a few really dark people. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, 
again, you, you touched on a lot of great topics. Well, not great, but like terrible topics, you know, like you, you would think that, um, you know, the abuse of children or pedophilia would be, no, no, people wouldn't be doing that. Politicians wouldn't be doing that. You know, then Epstein, you know, comes out and it's public now, you know, you can look at the flight log, you can figure that out. And it's like that acceptance. Of, yeah. What kind of world are we in? Because how are you going to, um, you know, protect your family? Right. And one of the things that they want to do is, um, you know, if you want to control people, well, then you don't want people who can protect the tribe. You don't want people who can protect the family. You don't want people who can protect their community, protect their country. And one of the things that, and what I think a huge thorn in the butt for these guys is the United States. And as a Canadian, I talk all kinds of smack about the United States, you know, from hockey to whatever growing up. Now I realize you guys are the only ones preventing this thing from happening today, right? Because of the second amendment. And you mm-hmm. look at the second amendment as a kid growing up, right? Through the compassion is why do you need guns. You know, they hurt people. Um, you know, and I get that. I, you shouldn't be shooting people with guns. I totally agree with that. Then, but then you got to realize, oh crap, you know, these governments, which are just people, Right, government is a fiction. When you go into law, it's just a group of people assembled together that then sick an army on you. That's what makes the that's how they enforce it. So, you know, your founding fathers knew that you should be able to protect yourself just in case that got out of hand. And because of that, they can't institute the one world government because United States can de- still defend itself from these predators. And so it's just understanding, yeah, like unfortunately. This exists. So, okay, how can we move towards solutions um, and what we can do about it? So with the drag queen story hour, which there's protests and then you have paid for Antifa by Soros who are, you know, always being, you know, dumb. Well, what about like senior citizens story hour? You know, what are some positive things? And I feel like that's what we're going to have to, you know, move to uh, as a society. And I'd love to skip to this just real quick and comments backtrack if you want, but you have in your book, uh, the significance of a spiritual worldview, which you touched on a little bit, but also scientific evidence for spiritual phenomena. So I'd love for you to kind of like, when you, when you go into this, a lot of the audience is going to know this. Uh, Maybe people new to you might be not, but like one of the thing I think a lot of people struggle with is like, what are the solutions? And do you think they're going to win? You know, that's one of the things where I get down. It's like, holy, when I was younger and I found out all this stuff, I went through a depression for a couple of years. Cause like, how are we going to beat this, you know, uh, juggernaut? But as I get older I, and as all this happens, I'm actually having more and more uh, faith being like, there's no way this works. You know what I mean? There's just absolutely no way this works, you know, and from a spiritual level, you know, I like the idea that, you know, no amount of darkness can snuff out a light and one light can light an entire room, you know, and you can also light up as many other candles as you want without diminishing your own light. Just the spiritual view of that. Um, and then there's some other, you know, data points that make a lot of sense. Like you look online, they deleted everything. But if you look at mm-hmm. the comments of everybody, it's the trolls and all that. They deleted all the people that made sense. They, they try to delete discourse, but there's very few people now, like they're lesser than sticking their head out on social, you know, it's just like, you're going to get bushers in on some of the platforms that aren't so social, uh, um, censored to see like the majority is pushing towards, Hey, no, no, no. Like that's an incomplete view. There is an issue here. And just cause you're, you know, using, whatever they call those like ad hominem, logical fallacies at me, call me names. It, it doesn't mean you have a strong argument. It means you're angry. Um, so what do you think of all that? Okay, well, with regard to solutions, because I think this will tie into a lot of what you said, um, the principle of non-attachment, at least in my own journey, is really important, which is distinct. David Hawkins, the spiritual teacher, makes this distinction. Um, It's different than detachment. Non-attachment means that you are not attached to the eventual outcome. 
but you're totally involved and you're trying your best. Detachment is more like, well, I don't really care. It's more of a passivity. And that's how I look at this whole thing of, yeah, there's dark light. I think it's a spiritual war. That's the best I can make sense of all this. I don't fully understand how it works, but there's something going on. There's an adversarial force. And I think there's a benevolent force too. And it's like, there's a clash that we're seeing. How it pans out, I don't know. And how much can I do as one person? It's sort of like, I'm going to do the best that I can. The outcome is way beyond my control. And who knows, like things like karma, I don't know how those things work and how, what, maybe there are cosmic reasons for certain things to happen, but I know that I'm going to stick to my principles and try my best. And it's, it's about having that kind of a mindset on a mass scale or a critical mass scale, meaning just enough of us to have that kind of mentality. I think it will work out, but I don't know how it will work out because each of us has a different skill that we're bringing to the table. And the, the basis behind this, and I think this is where you're alluding to the significance of a spiritual worldview that I talk about in the book, is that there's meaning behind this sort of action to try to withstand darkness and to bring about benevolence because we live in a meaningful universe. And what I often reference is the life review phenomenon and near-death experiences, which I talk about in all my books. And in my books, I go into the science of near-death experiences and why they shouldn't be regarded as hallucinations, or at least some of them, that these are a person's consciousness independently of their body is having some kind of major experience and then they're resuscitated and they're able to talk about it. That's an amazing thing from a scientific perspective because most neuroscientists would say, no, that's not possible. You couldn't have had that experience. You couldn't have had an experience that was realer than real. You couldn't have seen things from above your body from that vantage point, sometimes even outside of the operating room. And then it was accurate when you, when we, you told me what it was like, those things are, are well-documented. And in, in these near-death experiences, people often, not every time, they come back talking about a life review where they relived their whole life. They became all of the people that they impacted. So they relive the experiences through their eyes and even the third parties that they were that they affected. So they feel the ripple effects of their own interactions. Long story short, it, it speaks to the notion of some kind of a moral imperative that there are repercussions on a spiritual level. We may not understand them. And what people talk about is that they're accountable to themselves. It's not that the third party is judging them, although sometimes there's a being of light that's comforting them, but it's them saying, oh, wow, I knew better. And it's often the little things sometimes, like how they treated a cashier. Um, I, I heard a, a near-death experience account recently of a woman who in her life review remembers that she was um, she was a barista and a woman came up to her and she realized this woman was not like happy. She knew something was off and decided to be a little bit nicer than usual. And then in her regular life, the woman just went on with her day and didn't know anything happened. But in her life review, she learned that that person who was getting the coffee was suicidal. And because of her nice interaction, she ended up saving this woman's life. So it's like, there's crazy stuff happening beyond what we can consciously perceive. And we get this these hints in altered states of consciousness. That's a long way of saying that I do think there's a spiritual responsibility to try to stand up to things that are clearly counter to principles of unconditional love or oneness, all these things that people have directly experienced. And you're also reminding me now of, of this was like a pivotal point in my spiritual journey of trying to under, put things together. David Hawkins, again, one of my favorite spiritual teachers who passed away. I never met him. He's well known for power versus force, but that's the first book he wrote. My favorite books of his are actually his later books, like Letting Go was the last one he wrote. Also, the Eye of the Eye, another book just called I, Letter I. Those are some of my favorites. But anyway, he tells a story of um, Ramana Maharshi, who is a famous Indian sage, was in this non-dual state and said, the world that we see doesn't exist. 
So Hawkins said, yeah, that's actually true at the level at which Ramana Maharshi, who is an enlightened master, the, the level at which he's perceiving that's true, but most people aren't operating at that level. So to them, the suffering that they experience is very real. So what Hawkins said is that it's a spiritual error to ignore the suffering of people in the world, even though this world is in some ways an illusion. That was a big one for me because it's like, okay, you can, you can hold this paradox. None of it's real as we see it, but there's a responsibility on a spiritual level. So for, for Hawkins, what he said, and I can't find this clip anymore. It was, it was on the internet. It was like an eight minute thing and it's gone. So I, I hope I'm <laughs> recounting it properly. Um, but he said, cause he was a leading psychiatrist in New York an atheist. Then he had some, he had some crazy like spiritual experiences. Then he left the world and was meditating for years, got to all kinds of enlightened states and decided to come back to the world to write these books and do teachings, which hear from other people too. But part of why he wanted to come back was that he felt this, this duty to try to help alleviate suffering in the world. So that story to me is a microcosm of what's happening right now. There's this spiritual war. And at one level we could say, well, the world's not real. So I'm just going to sit at home and do nothing. I don't, I reject that wholeheartedly because people are suffering. And especially when you learn about some of the really dark stuff, innocent children and otherwise innocent people who are being tortured, that's an extreme level, but could that happen on a mass scale? Maybe to that, not to that level, but could we see mass suffering? And in some ways we are seeing it. My view is that there's a, a duty to try to do things to alleviate that. Beautifully said, man. I, I love all that. There's, there's a lot there. I love the work of David Hawkins as well. Um, there's a, um, a, a set of cones, Zen cones uh, about the, the bull. And it used to be eight, right? And then basically it goes through like um, this, it's a story of enlightenment. And then eventually at the cone eight, he reaches enlightenment and it's just uh, the circle, right? But then there was a master a few years later, maybe like a hundred to 200 years later, talked about how after enlightenment, you come back to the world. After enlightenment, you chop wood, carry water, but you exist you know, in the world to do something, you know, about it, to be your part and your role. And, you know, sometimes I think about this, um, you know, because I did the law summit, I've been a lot more into the Bible reading that because I had preconceived notions of what that book was growing up a Christian and kind of disregarding religion and a lot of the stuff that I've learned about that and didn't really didn't like, uh, but the book itself, just my own interpretation and and for the audience, the way that I, cause I read like the Bhagavad Gita and all these other spiritual books, but I didn't read that one front to back. I, I read it in pieces and it's a very, very hard read, but it's this whole book of uh, good versus evil, which is really fascinating. And I equate it to martial arts where you could have Mr. Miyagi as your teacher, or you could have the Cobra Kai, you know, it's just how mm -hmm. you use it, but you have to be the teacher. You can't be reading this spiritual stuff and then telling you what it means. You have to interpret it for yourself to see if it resonates uh, for you. And so, you know, when we live in this world where there are these, let's just say evil forces, I think one of the biggest challenges that I've had and, and people that I know have had similar ones where it's like my, my best friend once he's like, you don't have to put the whole world on your shoulders. You know, I, I look at like the suffering and the human trafficking and the freaking deception and all the stuff. It just drives, you know, really is hard for me. And he just said, you know, you don't have to put the whole world on your shoulders. And that always stuck with me. I'm not always good at doing that. Um, but I like what you talked about is just doing your piece. And I think you're doing it with your work. And I think a lot of people want to do it with, with their work. And it's hard to do, you know, you don't have to change your whole livelihood. It doesn't have to be something where, you know, you write these books or you do a podcast, right? It could be just being a good parent, a good brother, a good sister. It could be something simple. Um, so I kind of want to ask you, like, as you see 
the world kind of get more divided um this plan continue to roll like do you ever get disheartened like they they might win or how do you um find peace in this chaos and uh hope when you know people are being angry with you or you know it's just like oh they're you know do you ever feel like oh they're just gonna win you know like i've had that a couple of times it's like yeah, yeah you know it's crazy well I, again i i don't know what the outcome is going to be and Part of me would likes to say the light always wins. And even in the Gnostic texts, the Nag Hammadi scriptures, their, their basic cosmology is that we live in a realm that's controlled by a demonic demiurge within the broader oneness. We live in the siphoned off world that's demonically controlled. But in one of their origin stories, they say in the end, the light wins. So that is in the back of my mind. Um, but within the part, getting to that final stage, I don't know what's going to happen. We've seen horrific things all over the world. Um, Nazi Germany, but I mean, genocide's all over the place. And even today that goes on. So dark does win or has these mini wins. And I don't know what that means. I don't know where we are in the overall trajectory. What I worry about, about this time period more than others in at least written recorded history is that the technology we have now can enable totalitarianism on a completely new level. We see this a lot in China, but with surveillance, social credit systems, the ability to track people and even transhumanism to change what it means to be a human. And possibly this is what I worry about is disrupting our spiritual connection by altering our biology, whether it's DNA or merging with artificial intelligence. These are things that we weren't worrying about in the recent past, and it could get way darker. Um, so in spite of all that, I, it's, it's almost like I'm not hopeful and I'm not unhopeful because the outcome is, is not, it's number one out of my control and it's not my top priority. It's so many steps ahead of where I'm trying to be, which is like, do the best that I can in my little realm. And I really like what you said about like, you don't have to write books. You don't have to be on podcasts to do this. You figure out what it is in your world. And the analogy that I've used in my books is that we're all like puzzle pieces in a cosmic puzzle. So we have unique attributes. And what I think a big part of the spiritual journey is, is to be your authentic puzzle piece and embody it to the fullest and then just go for it. And part of that process is recognizing where, where you're not and where you are and fi figuring out, oh, I'm really good at this. Let me see how I can use this. Maybe other things, it's just not naturally part of your thing. It's not part of your puzzle piece and just accept that and not get upset about it. So just be exactly what you are and do the best version of that in your world. And then the outcome comes way after. Awesome, man. I love that. Yeah, I totally agree because one of the things we have to realize too, I don't know how it was phrased to be, but, you know, it's basically like, you know, do you, if there's a creator, do you think the creator makes mistakes? You know, do you think this realm is a mistake? You know, do you think like that power is not um, all encompassing? And the thing is, we don't know what's going on for any other different uh, person or what's going on in the world. So the only thing I actually can control is my own self and what i look at in the world and how i even perceive that right am i perceiving it through a screen like the occult scrying mirror which is a black screen which is my computer and my laptop and everything and what comes through that like how real is even what i'm looking at you know how much control of this reality do i have it's very little i can only control with what i do and what's in my realm that's it and i can choose through my intent if I want that to be cooperative, if I want my life to be helpful, I, I've kind of deduced like an awakened person, you know, which kind of like woke is now too crazy. I always have to do the, I do that every time, like an awakened person, not a woke person, an awakened person. They just realize they go from out of materialism. They don't, they stop thinking about what I can get. 
to what I can give. How can I serve? You know, how can I serve my community? How can I serve the world? How can I serve God? You know, how can I serve spirit, my higher self? And part of that is, like you said, being that unique puzzle piece, because, you know, if you are a beaver in a forest pretending to be an eagle, you know, you're going to be a terrible eagle. You're going to hate everything, you know, you know, if, if you're eagle pretending to be uh, a beaver, you're going to hate it too. But if you desire, you know, all through your own self-awareness and reflection and everything, you discover who you are, it's perfect for the forest. It's perfect for the community. It's perfect for the greater whole. And I think that's what the creator wants. And that's all we really can do because everything else is outside our control. And then we go into the death uh, side of things where we are definitely going to die. I know that. And I've had several near death experiences, you know, like way too many. I just actually was like, Oh, I've only had two. And I was like three, four. I was like, Holy shit. Like what is going on? What am I doing? <laughs> so I, <laughs> so I've learned that um, death will come when the creator says so, unless I do something, which I, I'm not going to, but you know, death will come when the creator says so. That's it. So you're here. So could you live fearlessly and can you, um, you know, serve the planet? And the other part of the awakened piece is um, you go from uh, comp competitive to, co to cooperative, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to look for ways to um, work with people. And on the other side of this, like psychotic side or this, this power structure that's way gone out of control that depends. Oh, so I want to address this too, before you're talking about how they manipulate people, they depend on you not doing anything. They mm -hmm. depend on you being apathetic. When I was in school, they did these studies where like, you know, if a person was screaming and there's a group of people, nobody does anything like psychologically, everybody just stands there expecting someone else to do something. Right. So they depend on you looking down, looking the other way, not taking action. So all that's required is you to just do your little part where you are. And so, yeah. And then give the greater peace to the creator. And I think, uh, you know, I've asked this to so many different guests, and I always ask, like, what's the reason for evil? And everybody gives me like sometimes a spiritual answer, and sometimes like, yeah, okay, I feel a little bit better. But one answer I like, and this is the best answer I've got so far. I still don't like it like all the way, but it I like it enough. <laughs> and the person said, I can't even remember who now. They said the reason why there's evil on this planet is because we're in a realm of free will. So if the creator truly gave us free will, we'd have to have the free will to do evil too. Otherwise, we wouldn't have free will at all. And I was like, huh interesting and so if this is a free will universe with our own um like you said those that's how i see it to the the near death it's going to be you in a mirror you're not getting out of it you'll remember exactly what happened what you did what your intent was there's no getting out of it it's not so oh that was bad it's worse because it's you <laughs> right nice. and then and then people have talked about their their near-death experiences where um, they were the people they harmed. So they felt the harm and then how it went to their family. And then even to the point of like harming the kids, right? Cause the guy, I think it was a former, uh, military guy killed someone. And then he saw the person he killed and then his family that now didn't have a father and he felt all that. And it kind of get going back. And then he had a near, another near death after that, but he cleaned himself up a lot more. Um, so it's a fat, it's a very uh, individual thing. And so I look at the world and like the scrying mirror and I get upset often. And I had like, I got to limit that because it's pissing me off. However, I can choose through, through my intent, my words, my actions, my deeds to the best of my ability. I'm nowhere near perfect. I am very rough around the edges and I'm very grumpy uh, for somebody who lives in the mountains and wants to try to be chill, <laughs> you know, because I, <laughs> you know, all the horror really pisses me off, but I can say, you know what? I'm here. I'm going to do my part to the best of my ability. Please help me because this is hard. This is freaking confusing. 
I'm worried. I'm worried for myself and my family and uh, you know, but you know, let's get after it. Let's, let's, you know, learn to be tenacious. And I've seen how the creator has always helped me in my life. I've been doing this for a long time. Um, you know, put myself in positions that no one else would ever do. Like, you know, uh, like financially done huge debt buy a plane ticket to another country. Somehow money appears like, you know, like enough. No, I'm not sitting there like money appears and I got 50 grand back. No, it's enough to do the thing I knew I had to do. That's how it worked. I had no wow. extra. You know what I mean? And like, so it's just like, I've just seen how that's happened because I got better and better at following the string. Like you and your books, this is the one I need to do and I need to do it now. And I don't know why, but it's that, that uh, intuition, that sense as you start to listen and then start to take action. And I think that the creator God um, connects with you uh, in, in a subtle way. It's not Mark, write this book today. You know, it's just like, it's just like this impulse, this energy to be, you know, inspired is to be in spirit. And we get there by accepting the del delusions that we've had when we see the truth and we're like, oh, it's like the pill you swallow. It's like, to me, people like black licorice. Remember when I was in Nepal uh, with uh, studying with native or, uh, monks and there are some other people from around the world. And I think the girl was from Finland. She's like, here, you want some candy? I was like, yeah, sure. She gives me like this such intense black licorice. I was like, this is not candy. This is terrible. But, um, you know, like these pills are like these, this black licorice you take it. And if you hate it, you know what I'm talking about. If you love it, then you know what I'm saying. Just think about something like dirt. Um, but you take it and then that kind of washes away the deception. And then from that, you are freer to be yourself um, and and then be a part of the solution. And maybe that's why we're here. You know, if the, the Bible and other books have said they sent down these warrior angels and someone goes, why do you think all the uh, angels have armors and sword? It's like, never thought about that. You know? So it is a, is a battle where you're not going out there fighting, but it's a spiritual battle in the sense, like even from a, a simple example and apologies for my rant, but uh, my buddy who is a very skilled uh, self-defense combat guns, the whole thing. Um, he really doesn't like pedos and bad people either. And he goes, you know, he sends me this thing and we're like a pedophile. If they have a strong father, won't go near that person. Right. They won't. Uh, and there's another book that's called um, the gift of fear. And this whole entire book is about how predators will prey on the weak and they want you to be really weak and really, they don't want to fight. They're like, I equate it to like a cat. You know, mm -hmm. like the, even the, the cougars, you know, they, they're not, they'll sneak up on you and jump on your back. But if you turn around, you know, and you're strong, it's like, I'm out of here. You know, this isn't something I want a piece of, you know, so building up your mental, emotional, spiritual strength, and that could go into your relationships too, and your community. And that's why they, they, you know, one of the main intents for this entire thing and all this woke agenda coming through about, you know, infinite genders and all this other stuff is just simply to destroy the family unit. You know, if you don't know you're a, a man or a woman, how are you going to know you're a man or woman under God? Because then God made a mistake, you know, mm. you know, and if that's what you, this used to be a mental condition a few years ago, and now it's being popularized. And if you say anything, then you become a bigot. It's like, you know, I feel for you that that people are promoting that. But no, if you're a man, you're a man. You're what well, we've always known that it's not confusing. And just to say that sentence, you know, if this keeps going five years from now, people are going to replay this. Like, hey, Matt, look at him. He thinks men are men and women are women. You know, and then they're going to give you like some sort of thing. And I've listened to people try to explain this to me, you know, applying the formula for truth I told you about. And I was like, I just like, it doesn't make, that doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, I'm like, try like over. I was like, that doesn't make any sense to me, you know, like in what was going on. So anyway, let me just end that rant with, uh, with that.
What do you think? All right. I took a few <laughs> notes because you said a lot of things I want to touch on. <laughs> I got Thanks for letting me run, man. I appreciate it. That was a lot of good stuff there. So on the life review, which has been one of the most transformative things for me to learn about, my podcast, if your audience is interested, episode six, it's called Where Is My Mind Podcast. It's all about the life review, and it includes some of my talks with scientists. Um, but also on my YouTube channel, I have my full-length interview with Daniel Brinkley, who's the guy you were referencing. Who He was in Vietnam, and he relived in his near-death experiences what it was like to be the people that he killed. And he felt what it was like to be the children who no longer had a father because he had killed the father. I couldn't so remember in, who that was. It was you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, some guests told me it sometimes. So good. <laughs> yeah. It was one of the most powerful conversations I've ever had. So it's up on YouTube in case your audience is interested. But what you were saying regarding like that we need to, we need to not just sit back. Basically, that's the way I conclude this book and enter the upside down reset. I talk about Ken Wilber's framework for evolution, um, which he he calls it waking up, cleaning up, and growing up. And in my book, An End Upside Down Living, I actually say this is the pivotal thing. We need, we need to wake up, clean up, and grow up. So waking up is acknowledging our spiritual nature, going down the path of enlightenment, basically. But then cleaning up is, is not doing a spiritual bypass and saying, oh, there's darkness. I don't want to look at the darkness. Or I have trauma within myself. I don't want to look at that. Cleaning up is, is going into that and transmuting um, and, and the trauma within us in our own shadow. And growing up is really essential too. It's accepting reality for what it is and maturing and having the discernment to recognize that there's evil out there. But in this new book, I, I, I say not only waking up, cleaning up and growing up, but Wilbur also says there's showing up. And I think that's essential for this great reset topic and just societal evolution generally is you have to show up to what life brings and not be completely passive. Um, what we're seeing, like these trends you're talking about, um, Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff wrote a book called The Coddling of the American Mind, which I cite often in my book. As psychologists, they see what's happening in the indoctrination on college campuses. Again, it's this far left kind of mentality, which is within a lot of the professors. And if you look at the, the ratios of people on different parts of the political spectrum, it's heavily weighted in one direction in all the college campuses and in the media and elsewhere. And I have a whole chapter on this in the book. Why is that important? Because we have little ideological diversity. And that's a problem if you have ch if children coming up learning one ideology in a certain direction. And they uh, hate and Lukianov use this term safetyism that is developing, where all you care about is safety. And in some regard, that's an important thing, but there's always got to be a balance. Like you want to be safe, but if you're going to be so safe that you're coddled, then you're not going to be strong. So I get really concerned with this whole movement toward quote unquote toxic masculinity and the American Psychological Association, which said a few years ago, masculine, traditional masculinity is on the whole harmful. That is a dangerous thing. If you're talking about, if you, if you wanted to create a very weak population, that would be a good thing. Let's put it that way. People who don't want to stand up. And I think that there's always a balance of the masculine and feminine, but if we're going to take this um, if we're going to reduce the masculine aspect to not wanting to stand up, that is is very problematic for those of us who want to have a, a prosperous society. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that goes into like, there's no, um, you know, uh, nobody protect family, right? Mat masculine most most of the time, the, the man is going to protect the family, right? That's just what we're we've been doing. You know, the men have protected the tribe forever. Doesn't mean women can't. I'm not saying that crazy people. Yeah. You know, every everybody gets strong, but traditionally, like someone breaks in the house, it's going to be me jumping out of bed. You know, trying to kick some butt ideally and that's just you know the men traditionally in the native american communities and actually one of the things that i really valued when when learning from the native american communities very strong they had a very masculine presence um for their strength and protecting the 
the tribe and hunting and all this different stuff. But the grandmothers would say if they went to war, right. But mm. they also had that strong masculinity. And so I think, you know, strong, healthy masculinity, right. But when you attack that and then you want to weaken men. And now uh, there's another quote that says, um, what is it? Uh, weak men are not peaceful because they have no capacity for harm. It's, you know, it's, it's like uh strong, it's something along these lines, but strong, dangerous men, uh, they're peaceful, right? Because they have the pa- capacity to do sh- great harm. Right. And then, you know, you don't go mess with the grizzly because it will whoop you. You know what I mean? And so if you have a strong family unit, just like I talked about that pedophile story, right? So you, you bring that on a, on a big scale of communities and countries, you don't mess with that country. You leave them alone because they are protected. That's why no one is going to mess with the United States, you know, with this whole great reset war thing is because every grandma is can, can arm themselves. Right. But guess what? Mm -hmm. Can you do whatever you want to Australia that was disarmed? Yes, you can. Can you do whatever you want to Canada? Uh, not really, because we still have hunter's guns, but they have come for our fire. I've already started coming for our firearms. And when you look at history, whenever a country was disarmed, guess what? The government came and happily ended their life with mass murder. You know, mm. so it is what it is. And so, yeah, we do want this healthy, uh, strong mindsets. And there's a reason why they're doing this. This isn't just random. You know what I mean? This is a destruction of a family, a destruction of a culture. Um, and so this gives us a huge opportunity to do our part because, you know, we're going to, we're going to be the last generation that remembers all this stuff. If we allow all the kids to go through and forget, you know, and this is what happened with the native American cultures too, right? It was an oral tradition that got destroyed through the school systems. Right. So it's a huge problem that we still need to try to, well, I don't know, try to do something with. So it's happening to us now. And uh, Clifford Mahoudi, one of my friends who recently passed, he goes, um, this is what he talked about. <laughs> this is political, but he goes, if Biden get in, he was you always into this kind of stuff. He goes, if Biden gets in, this is before uh, he goes, everyone's going to know what the made- Native Americans went through. And he was on to like the globalism and stuff like that. And he just meant like they're good. He's going to be a pawn for this globalist. He didn't, he's like from a community, from a standpoint of policy, he liked what Trump did. He didn't like him as a person, but he goes, he's like, he did stuff on human trafficking and actually some good stuff for the uh, native American communities as well. So Clifford was very involved with that and like that. Um, and just, he goes, he's going to accelerate the global agenda, which we all knew. And everyone's going to know what it's like to be what we went through. So very fascinating thing, but uh, brother, I could talk to you for like 40 hours in a row. Um, is there anything that you would like like to discuss? Is there s- something that we did not discuss that we should, or um, any topic we should leave the listeners with? Maybe just this is related to what you were saying. Um, in my in the last chapter of my book, I quote Seth Dillon, who's the head of the Babylon Bee, the satirical news outlet. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he says some people think that we are uh, a better society because we're tolerant of more things, and he's and and we make, we make fun of, of fewer things. And he says, I think we're worse because we are so tolerant that we're allowing things to exist that we should not be tolerant of. So it's like, there's, there's a balance with everything. There's a balance of the masculine and the feminine. There's a balance of tolerance. And what's happening in many of these cases is that one extreme is being taken and pushing us in a really dangerous direction, but it's being masked as something really good. Well, of course, we want to be more tolerant in some ways, but should we be tolerant of like horrible things being done to children? Of course, we shouldn't be tolerant of that. We have to be strong and say no and have boundaries with that. So that's the, to me, this is the overarching point of the whole Great Reset. And the Great Reset is just the current version of where we're being steered in a very dark direction. Maybe in the future, it'll be called something else, but we're being pushed in a certain direction. To me, that's undeniable. That there we're being we're being pushed somewhere, and we can flow with the river and just go with it into something very dark, or we can stand our ground, which to me is a, a 
aspect of spirituality to set boundaries and to to be righteous toward what is actually good and not to allow evil to just exist and be passive. I 100% agree. Well, brother, thank you so much for your work. Thanks for coming on the show. Where can people find you? I invite you to check out all of your books, all of your work, because it's all phenomenal. Send it to your lefty friends. They won't read it, but, uh, you know, it'd be great if they did. And you'd be the only guy that could, like, they could read it and it might get through. Um, there's, but, uh, yeah, you're doing amazing work, and I appreciate you. So uh, where can they find your books? Yeah, likewise, Matt. Thank you for all that you do as well. I appreciate all your work. I learned from you. And, again, I appreciate your courage. Um, my books are all on Amazon. There are five of them. And I do hope that this newest one, An End to the Upside Down Reset, can get across to people who maybe they only watch CNN and read the New York Times. I, I really want to get to those people because I know there are a lot of really good ones out there. And if they realize what they were supporting, they would not support it. So if you do have friends, uh, members of your audience, I would love to try to, to bridge people. Um, but they're, they're all... There are other books there that do not relate to politics and they relate to spirituality <laughs> and other things and aliens and all the books are, um, they're in hard, hard copy, Kindle and audible. So depending on what you like there, all the options are available. Although the newest book and end to the upside down reset is only for audible pre-order at the time of this recording, it will be out on audible February 7th. Um, my podcast is called where is my mind and that's available um, on all the major podcast players, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And my website is my name, markgober.com, M-A-R-K-G-O-B-E-R.com. Awesome. Well, you're the man. And yeah, you have written it in a way, all your books that, you know, you're you're not combative, you're just sharing it. So, you know, it would have the capacity to wake up a lot of people. And I do agree that most of these people, if you can speak to them, right, they don't want to support evil. They just don't know a lot of them. And some of them, some, there's going to be a percentage that are lost and there's kind of, they're going to just do whatever they're going to do until, you know, something terrible happens or, you know, they get a rude awakening. Uh, but a lot of people, you know, might wake up to this, you know, so uh, great job on writing the book. Um, but yeah, bro, great to see you. Thanks for doing all the great work. Can't wait to see what the next topic is. And uh, we'll do this again soon. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. All right. See you guys. Thanks for watching. Peace. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely phenomenal Mark Gober. I hope that you enjoyed that show. And if you did, please share the episode far and wide. Consider leaving a review. And most importantly, consider doing those three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. For those of you guys who want to stay in touch, please join the email list. Consider becoming a member by donation. And if you want to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, you have any questions, comments, concerns, hit me up directly at matt at zenathlete.com or go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching. There is some exciting stuff in the works. There's going to be a shop coming up where you can get some cool swag, some t-shirts, some mugs. We're working on the designs right now. Um, and with battling this online censorship, all your support, the reviews, and, and all the members are truly appreciated at this time for keeping the show going so thank you guys so much for your support i sincerely love and appreciate you and let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we close this show wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath and let it out slowly filling every cell muscle and fiber of your being with joy peace contentment enthusiasm faith courage and get ready to enjoy the rest of your day thank you so much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.